We are walking through the book of Mark, and it's going to be a long, arduous uh, walk through, through, through Mark, because what we're really going to be doing is we are going to be discovering, uh, finding out who really this Jesus is. There have been many different uh, groups of people who have been trying to discover the historical Jesus. Who is the real Jesus? Uh, there's been uh, groups of people that have taken, literally, there's one theologian, uh, his last name's Croissant, and he, he has taken the Bible, he's taken the Gospels, and he has gone through it and kind of said, nope, Jesus didn't say that, or this isn't consistent from one Gospel to another Gospel to another Gospel. So he starts marking them in different ways until he gets down to about, you know, only a few different things that he says, this is absolutely what Jesus said, and reduces it down to basically nothing. This morning, I, I want us to really look at the Jesus that is in all four Gospels, the real Jesus. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at something that in the Gospel of Mark is a huge theme, and that's the kingdom of God. And so if, if you're going to follow along uh, and you grab one of those Bibles alongside, it's page 694. Uh, for you to follow along, and it's just going to be two verses today, so um, it's it's easy. But before we do that, here I need a little bit of participation, and this is going to, I know if you're, you've grown up in the church um, all your life, there was no participation other than singing, unless you came from a liturgical background, and then there's like the part the preacher would say, and then the part you would say. This is, I need a little bit of input to get me going this morning, and we're going to start with the ladies. Ladies, if you could choose a chick movie, a chick movie, yeah, I, already the guys are in pain. Uh, if you could choose a chick movie that just, man, you could sit at home and have your mocha latte, ole, and just cuddle up with a blanket, and maybe a guy, if he doesn't irritate you during the movie, you know, just sit back and watch it. What would be that movie? And just very briefly, because I know if I let my wife talk about her favorite movie, it could go on forever because then the tears will start coming because it's like a Hallmark commercial. Uh, so what would be your, your favorite chick movie and why? And s- say it really loud so we can all hear. Anybody? What? Ten Things I Hate About You? Just the, the title says, oh. It's a love story. Okay. It's a love story. So it's, for you, what grabs you is that, hmm. Keith Ledger's hot. Okay, moving right along. Anybody else? Ladies, what, what is another chick movie? Christine. Steel Magnolias. Why is Steel Magnolias? Uh, so that strength that, of friendship and love, that bond. Okay, what else? Emily. Because of the song? Okay. Okay. The notebook. The notebook. What? Why the notebook? That compassion, passion, that love story going on. You had one. 
Sisterhood of the Traveling Who? All right, haven't heard that one. Why? Why? Okay, excellent, cool. Any other chick movies? Legends of the Fall. Okay, why? Well, Brad Pitt, obviously. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. He's not very metro, is he? No. Anybody else, ladies? Guys, this could take a while, sorry. Ladies, anybody else going once? Yes. Far and away. Hmm. <laughs> Look at these girls going, uh-huh. That's right. Why far and away? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, intense. <clears throat> good, good. Ladies, last chance. Yes. What was it? The painted veil. Tell me about that. Good, good, good call. We're in church. Cinematography, cool. Anyone else? Ladies, last chance? Yeah. Titanic. Good, good. Why Titanic? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Guys, this is really is a seminar on dating and relationships. Okay, now guys, let's shift a little bit. Ladies, sit back. Hold on. Uh, Guys, if you had to choose a movie you could spend, it doesn't have to be with your wife or your girlfriend or a bunch of chicks. What movie would you choose and why? What would be a guy movie that you're going? And you're not here today to please whoever's next to you. John, Braveheart. Hmm. I didn't didn't hear that story. Oh, good. Thank you. Why, Why Braveheart? Okay, blood and gore. Good. Anybody else, guys? The Patriot, Mel Gibson. Why? Okay. Cool. Other guy, guys. What movies? Chad. Three hundred. Why three hundred? Seriously. Because they're sparsely clad Spartans, you know? Mm, which Paul obviously doesn't have. Okay, the one. Okay, anybody else? Guys, what other movies? Die Hard. And Die Hard with a Vengeance and Die Harder. and Why, why that one? Cool. Excellent. Anyone else? Steve? 
The Born Trilogy. Yeah. Not because of the guy. Right, Steve? Right, right. <laughs> what, what is it about the Born Trilogy? Yeah. Cool. Especially in the first one. Yeah. And the cinematography, seriously. Yeah. Armageddon. Okay. Why Armageddon? Yeah? Yeah? Any other guys? Tommy Boy. <laughs> I knew it was going to come up. Because? <laughs> I'm disappointed this group hasn't, there's been no uh, knights who are formerly known as Monty Python. Come on. Oh, okay. I must be a freak. Lorsh. Well, this morning, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is because I think that at the heart of humanity, that g- there's something going on underneath um, the life or what we see going on that, um, that seems in, in our work life, in our movies that we watch, in the shows that you know, we become addicted to, that there's something in those shows or there's something in this life that are shadows of God saying, there's something better. Let me show you what life with me is really about. And, and I hear in the women this, this compassionate, the lover, the, the undeniable love that can be found, even though it even seems unrealistic and, come on, there's no man like that. There's something the woman says, I'm drawn to that kind of compassionate, passionate love, friendship, a camaraderie. And then you hear in the guys this mission, this, this destiny, or, or the, just the absolute silly boy in us that just says, there's got to be joy, there's got to be laughter, there's got to be something else to this life than what I'm experiencing, than the mundane. Well, this morning we're going to look at Mark just... Chapter 1, two verses, 14 and 15. And uh, Mark is, is doing an announcement of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We first saw John the Baptist coming and saying, Hey, prepare the way in your hearts for, for this coming person who is greater than me. I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This guy is just absolutely amazing. I baptize in water. He baptizes by the Holy Spirit. This is the chosen one that is coming. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and misses kind of the, the glamour and glitz opportunity. He missed his Broadway debut by just coming in and identifying with humanity. He says, listen, I want to identify with sinners from day one. I will receive a baptism that I do not need so that I can minister to people that need it. And this morning, Jesus starts his preaching ministry. So follow along with me for just these two verses. Starting in verse 1 or 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. 
Repent and believe the good news. I want to do verse 15. These words, these red letter words. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I think inside of us, every one of us, uh, there's this desire to say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to this world that we live in. You know, um, there, there's days, um, there's Mondays, where Chad and I will sit in the office and we'll go, there's got to be more than this. It's got to be more than just us showing up on Sunday morning, singing a couple songs, and me preaching, and us having coffee and donuts and heading on out to Panera or wherever you go afterwards. There's got to be more than to this church and life together than just this. And maybe you experience this in your job too. Man, I am showing up. I'm doing these things. There's got to be something more to it than this. There's got to be something more than me teaching and dealing with snot-nosed kids. There's got to be more than me nurse being a nurse and doing these things. There's got to be more to life than me just being a mom or me just being a dad, me doing this, being a vet, me doing these different things. There's got to be more. And I think inside of us, there's this kind of burning to say, God, what is it? What is it that, that you are doing? Open my eyes so that I can see this, so I can sense it, so I can participate in it. Kind of like the movies. Man, I want to have this amazing, amazingly rich, passionate, compassionate relationship. I want to have this life that is so driven. Kind of like Die Hard. Man, I, I look at him and go, you're getting shot at. Quit being an idiot. Go home. Enjoy your Christmas. These are terrorists with bigger guns. But inside of us, there's this burning urge to say, there's more. There's more to life than what we're experiencing. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, listen, the time has come. Right now. By Him stepping on the stage saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And Jesus says, listen, you're right. There is more to life than just you going through your daily daily routines. There is more. And that doesn't mean that you get out of your job, your vocation, and you go into ministry. Not everybody's called to this kind of lifestyle, this kind of world. God, God, God puts different kinds of calls on everyone. But what is God saying? To you, are you ready to participate in this kingdom of God? This different life. This kingdom of God theme, you're going to see throughout the book of Mark or any of the Gospels. Just this rich unfolding, Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And 
And so it's very important that we, we start wrapping our minds around what is this kingdom of God talk about? This kingdom of heaven talk. What is this really about? Because we're all part, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've, you've given your life to his mission and his desires, we're all a part of this kingdom of God thing. So how does, how does it work? How does it, how do we live this out? How do we become people of the kingdom that are participating with God? So this morning, I just want to take those two verses and I, I really want to kind of unpack it a little bit because we're going to see this come up again in Mark, again and again and again. And I think it's important for us, even in our daily lives, to say, I'm part of God's activities, His kingdom. How do I, how do I participate? What do kingdom ethics, kingdom behavior, kingdom thinking how does that really work out? This idea of kingdom was not a new thing to them. All the way since the beginning of time, God was creating a group of people. And we really see it with the call of Abraham in, in the middle of, middle of Genesis where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I've got a, a land promised for you. So this idea for Israel going, we've got a God, we're his people. There's this idea of a, a sovereign, a king, and his people. And God lays out in, in uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy these, these rules. You see the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, these ways of, these are proper ways of living. And you see it even stripped down to its bare bones in Leviticus where there's all these different ways of acting it out and living within this kingdom. These are ways of, that we live together. So all throughout the Old Testament, you see these pictures of God uh, participating with His people, even ruling in the middle of His people as they were traveling through the desert from Egypt to the Promised Land. The king was in his place in the middle of his people. They saw it by a, a pillar of smoke by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. God's presence was right here. He was in the middle of it. God uses in the book of Hosea even this idea that, listen, I am your king and I'm dwelling among you, but you, you're like an adulterous prostitute. That, that's what you are. You guys are finding your own ways. But listen, living in community, living in kingdom, living in relationship with me looks so different. And God is constantly calling His people back till we get to the end of the Old Testament in Malachi where God says, enough, I'm done. We need to take a break. And in that silence, hopefully a stirring will, will come up. Were you just anticipating my voice again and the Messiah? So some 400 years of silence happened. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he announces the kingdom of God. It's near. And all the people would have gone, 
Yes! The kingdom of God is near. All right, let's start the revolution because you know what? We need to take our rightful place and have the right privileges and reestablish who we should be because we're under Roman rule. And this Roman rule has been terrible. Since about 63 B.C., the Romans have ruled their area. With Pompeii coming in and starting to take over, even bringing in idols into their, into their temple areas and imposing rules and taxes. And so they were under oppression and finally they're hearing somebody on the banks of the Jordan say, Ha the kingdom is near. Get ready. And they're anticipating a reestablishing of the kingdom. But Jesus' ways of doing things is totally different. His way of reestablishing the kingdom is not by swords. It's not even really about land. It's not even about my rights. But it's a way of being. I even think if we really look at the North American church, we really resemble... Israel, when they hear the kingdom is near, they're going, sweet. The American church goes, that's right. Hollywood took away our rights. It's time for us to reestablish a Christian nation here under God. That's who we're supposed to be. And Jesus is saying, hold on. There's nothing against America. Great nation. Not the only one that I love. But maybe there's a way that the church is called to live. A church, the way the church is meant to be and act and interact with the world. A good definition of what is the kingdom of God is not a religious state. A good definition of the kingdom of God is God's way of doing things. God's way of doing things. And it begins from those values and standards that most adequately reflect God's own character. It's it's more about following after the king and looking at how the king works and moves. And us saying, that is where I find my identity. I find it in the king. And from that comes different models of how discipleship, of how following the king might impact politics, it might impact economics and other social kind of realities. But it's first finding our identity in the king, finding our identity not in what I do or what I want to do or what I want, but it's finding our identity in the king. And allowing the King to shape us, to mold us, to change us, to break us, to take our full lives and say, this is what kingdom life is really about. It affects our whole of life. Our whole life. Our public life. And our private life. For me, Kingdom living as a a former public school teacher meant living my faith 
in a public setting. I wasn't about forcing and saying, you know, evangelizing in the classroom. But my way of treating and loving and caring for students should reflect my relationship with the King. And out of that has come tremendous conversations and new life. Not because I evangelize in my classroom, but because I have an understanding of kingdom living. My wife hates going out to dinner with me. Because wherever we go, well, not because it's me, but, um, but because there's this, whenever we go, especially in the Lincoln Way area, what do you call me, honey? Mayor of Mokina. Because it's this handshaking. Hey, Mr. Broom, how are you doing? Or Mr. Broom, you used to have my kid. You know, we'll go through Burkhats. And there's no escaping. It's because of this kingdom living. This relationship. It's the public and the private. It's not just about me and my, my quiet time with God. It's me and my quiet time with God working itself out into my public life. There is no distinction between your public and private. If you look at at the Hebrew life, there's no such thing as, well, you're this during the day and you're this at night. The Hebrew were all about. It's holistic. It's my day, my night, my afternoon. How I sleep, how I breathe, how I buy, how I do this, how it's all integrated into one. And so, this life in the kingdom affects our private and our public life. On top of that, it also, whether we want to believe it or not, it it even goes to a, a real deeper level for those of us who have this fresh idea and understanding of what freedom in Christ, freedom in this kingdom really looks like, it affects our ideas of what is just, what is right. And God forbid that it might even affect our views on politics. Where you you might look at a Democratic candidate and say, there's some justice about this man that I have not seen in a Republican. Maybe I need to break the rules. Or maybe it could even affect it the other way, God forbid, that as a maybe a predominant Democratic voter, you say, there is something that's missing from this platform. Maybe I need to vote this way. So it affects your, your way of viewing everything. It makes you think about, how do I choose? How do I think? How do I function? And, but the thing that Jesus was most concerned with, you'll see this throughout the Gospels, He had a high concern for the quality of human life. The nature of real, meaningful relationships. Ladies, so those movies that you're drawn to, Jesus, Jesus said, yeah, there's a reason behind it. 
And we need to be concerned about the nature of real, meaningful, true, godly, loving relationships. Jesus was all about rejecting these attitudes of power and control in favor of love, acceptance, and mutual service. These qualities were to characterize the disciples. And that relationship with their Savior, their King, their God, had huge implications for the world that they lived in. In 1 Corinthians, pop that one up for me. Paul reminded his Christian readers in Corinth that the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but power. It's not just this jabbering away. It consists of talk. It does not consist in talk, but in power. The empowerment of God that enables those who wish to change to live in the ways that would truly reflect God's way of doing things. When Jesus announced and preached the good news that the kingdom is near, the, the time is here, He's saying, listen, there is power in that. There's power to to heal relationships. There's power in that to grow and to get out of funks and to not be in this kind of life. There is power to, to be healed. And it's not your own inner healing. It's the power of God working in you. And it's not just about Christian pablum. Just talk, talk, talk. It's really the recognizing the work of Jesus. The work that has been done. And participating in that work. And allowing it to change us from the inside out. And to be in a community of people where we can all recognize that. And we share these stories of what God's power is doing in our lives. Next week, um, October 7, next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating communion. And I just want to give you a heads up because some of you freak out with this kind of participation. I want to hear stories before communion of the power of God at work. To hear your stories of what God is doing in your relationships, in your workplace, in your marriage, in just your day-to-day life. What is God doing? How are you seeing the power of God revealed in your life today? Because that really is the kingdom of God being unraveled. And you being shocked and amazed and blown away and say, Wow, God is good. God is good. Because in reality, and there's a slide for this one too about the church, the church is really a microcosm of the transformation that God's new order would bring to the whole world. The church, and I'm not talking about the four walls, the people of God, we are a microcosm, just a little tiny example of, 
of, of something absolutely amazing. The transformation that takes, takes place because of the gospel, because of our participation in the kingdom of God. We are an example, a small example of what this looks like. Of this transforming power, this transforming work that is going on. To be a part of a church, a community of faith, was to have a foretaste of life in the kingdom, in God's complete kingdom, as we see at the end of the world. I don't know if you've ever had this, but when you get together with some of your your closest Christian friends, believers, and you walk away, and maybe you even have this with some of your friends who aren't Christians, with those conversations, and you go, that is sweet. It was good to be with you. I feel more complete. I feel more whole. I see more of what God is doing in my life because of conversations with you. That was sweet. I love it. That's because... These relationships are just a foretaste of something even better to come. And the first century church got it. And that's why they were such a, they were such this enormous, I hate, I hate the word success, but why they, their stories just kind of pop off the pages. Why men and women, when they were asked for proof of what God was doing, all they All the Apostle Paul had to do was say, look at what's going on. Look at what's going... Read Acts chapter 2. Look at what's going on here. This... God is at work here. This is just amazing. This is beautiful. What is happening here? Just point at the church. Because there's relationships. There's marriages that are are being healed. Where people are finding where their true identity is. And they're becoming... Not just spiritually healthy, but even emotionally healthy. Not just spiritually healthy, but financially healthy. Not just spiritually healthy, physically healthy. Looking at the church as a foretaste of what God's kingdom could look like. And Jesus said, listen, there's a sense of nowness. The kingdom has come. And if you look in Luke chapter two, or sorry, Luke chapter four, flip over to your right just a little bit. This is a more um, full description of what happened. Luke kind of expounds a little bit, starting four verse 16. When he went to Nazareth when he had been, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. As he stood up, and he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of God is on me, because he has anointed me to preach 
good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus saying, I'm it. And this mission of mine is to preach, to heal, to restore. And part of the mission of the church is also to preach, to heal, to restore. To be a a place where we have healthy relationships of restoration. Where people can look at our relationships, our friendships, and people say, there's something happening here. And I can't explain it. Because these are messed up, screwed up people. But something's happening here. I'm not pointing at you guys, sorry. There's some messed up, screwed up people here. And I can't explain what is going on with them, but something amazing is happening here. God has shown up. They're participating in something greater. And there is no organization, no self-help kind of book would fix this. God's in their presence. They're kingdom participants. They're not just residents. They're kingdom bearers. Wherever they go, whatever they do, they take it with them. So it shows up in their job. It shows up in the marriage bed. It shows up in the grocery store. It shows up as we pick up trash. The kingdom shows up in rich times where we go to the park district and help the park district with the worldwide day of play and play with children. The kingdom shows up and becomes richer and bigger and more exciting, redemptive, restorative. It shows up in small group Bible studies. When the family gets together and they ponder, who is this Christ? Who is this this God that is changing my life, that is turning everything upside down? Who is this God? And the kingdom is becoming more and more and more and more complete and more rich. Have you ever talked to a person who has just given their life to Jesus Christ? Like the next day? Have you talked to them the next day? Their stories? I won't mention the couple here, but we've got a couple here that Laura and I did dinner with this week. (laughs) The stories of what God has done and is doing. Part of me is jealous. I feel like, man, I'm a grandpa. And not getting too excited about stuff anymore. This couple is excited because God is on the move in their marriage. 
and rocking their world. Wouldn't it be exciting if that would be true with all of us? Where we all become these kingdom participants and seeing God at work and at move in our own personal and public lives. So here's some questions that I have for you. What would it mean for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done in your own personal life? What would it really look like if God's kingdom really came in your life? Where it just knocked down the walls of all your resistance and and all of a sudden God became really sovereign, became really in control and guiding your life. What would it look like in just your personal life Not your spouse, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your best friends, not in your family. In just your life, what would it look like if God's kingdom came? In your personal life, what would it look like? What about if it came in the place that you worked? Whether it be in a public, private Christian, what would it look like if God's kingdom came here? In your workplace. What would it look like? What would it mean for God's will to be done in your life relationally with the people that you come in contact with every day, every moment? What would it look like if, if you could have this amazing relationship with this, or conversation with this person that has just pained you? What would kingdom conversations and kingdom restoration and kingdom love and kingdom justice look like in your relational lives? And this is a big one for me. What would it look like for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done here within our community? If we really understood kingdom living, what would change? How would we live differently? How would we communicate? How would we function? Maybe in kingdom living, every person would be stewarding their spiritual gifts. Maybe in kingdom living, we can't wait to get together with our brothers and sisters in Christ who would call us to week after week life in Christ where they would encourage us and love on us and discipline us. Maybe kingdom living would mean that some of us cut up credit cards.
and don't re-up them when they come in the mail. Maybe some of us, it's kingdom living means getting out of debt. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I believe that God has something tremendous planned for us. And understanding kingdom living is not just about coming together on Sunday and singing songs and hearing me rant and rave for 40 to 45 minutes and you know you walk out going, man, I felt good walking in here. Now I feel like I've been kicked. But for us, we can't wait to get together, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. Where we can't wait to share what is going on in our lives, what kingdom, what God has done in our personal lives that we've got to share it with people. C.S. Lewis says something that um, in his book called The Weight of Glory, and if you've been around uh, Christendom long enough, you may have heard this. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis wasn't talking about specifically about kingdom living based off of Mark 1, 14 and 15. But I, as I read that, I wonder, have we settled for less than what God has intended? And participating in relating with God and each other and the world around us. Have we settled for making mud pies in the slums? What God really intends for us when, in living in community with Him and being in kingdom with Him is to really have something far greater but to have a holiday at the sea and have life to its fullest and the richest. I hope it means that as we pray, we say, God, may I be the kind of person who does your will from my heart. May I become the kind of person who does your will, God, from my heart. May your kingdom come to earth in my life. May I be a kingdom bearer not just a kingdom resident. That too. But also a kingdom bearer. Wherever I go, may people get a taste 
of the kingdom of God and the good news that is found there. The good news that you can have the holiday by the sea. Life in Christ. So, movies are a foretaste. A rich picture, shadows of what God is kind of stirring in the hearts of men and women and a nation and people and us. I'm going to close it off with another awkward moment. What would kingdom life look like for you, for us? And I want to encourage you to say it out loud. Even if you think it's absolutely foolish, it could be the exact same thing that somebody else is saying. Yes, absolutely. What does kingdom life, what does the kingdom of God, when it hits its pinnacle, what does it look like? Share. Peace. I'm sorry. Okay. Waking up excited. Refreshing. I'm sorry? Being healthy. Cheerful. Good. No fear. Being re- really relational and understanding what that really looks like. Anita? A pure heart. Good. Others? you got to be louder, man. I can't hear you. Peace and quiet. Others? Wearing a smile all day. Feeling protected. Good. Humility. Cheerful givers. Time, talent, treasures. (laughs) Yeah. Others. Compassion. Wouldn't it be fun to be a part of a community that had compassion on one another? Yeah. Anyone else? It'd be exciting for me to see a church that isn't concerned about itself but loves the world because of the love that we have.
pray about this. And uh, one of the songs that we're going to sing after this, I, I just love, uh, Take My Life. And that's really what this is. It's uh, about saying, God, you are sovereign in my life. You are the king. So take my life. So let's pray. God, we just love you. Lord, for, for some of us, we're on just different places in our journey. Some of us, this is just brand new and exciting or confusing. And some of us, we have been on this journey for a long time. And it's time to discover uh, the real richness that uh, there is in life in you, life in the kingdom. God, I just ask that in this week, or even today, Lord, that you just open our eyes and our hearts as to what it really looks like for each of us to participate in your kingdom, to be able to repent and turn from what we were doing, to believe and have faith in this good news, this promise of new life, the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and the hope that we can have because of that, and the hope that we can share with the world. Lord, uh, open up our, our eyes and our communication as we, we get excited about what is your mission and what does your kingdom look like in our community. God, I just ask that doors open up, and Lord, that we can find fresh and new ways to love this community because you have first loved us. Lord, may we be a people of peace, of compassion, of pure hearts that understand what true relationships are about. Lord, that we're people that are protected and protecting. May we be fearless. God, that the love that we have is a love that comes from you. So God, thank you. And Lord, we're going to uh, lift up our voices in worship now. May this just not be a time that we, we sing another song that gets us emotionally stirred, Lord, but may this really be our love song to you. May this be a, a way of confessing and committing again to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.